0: invite you guys to take your Bibles and turn with me for our Scripture reading, for our sermon text this morning on this Epiphany Sunday. We're going to continue in our series. We actually bring the series to a close this morning as we look together at Psalm 36, verses 7 through 9. The series we've been doing is Jesus, the light of the world, using Advent and Christmas and Epiphany as... The span of our series and the big one of the big themes of this time of year is light. It's in our hymns, it's in our songs, and it's in many of the scripture readings, like the one we did this morning. And so, we on Epiphany Sunday, we're going to think about this theme of having a spiritual epiphany and we're going to think about it in terms of the light imagery in the bible as we can as we finish up our series on Jesus the light of the world. So let's read our scripture text together for this sermon. We're going to look together at Psalm 36 and let's read together verses 7 to 9. This is God's holy word for us his people. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. This is God's word for us today. Let's ask him to bless our time in his word. Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Word, and we ask that You would bless not only this reading, but now especially the preaching of Your Word. Use the truth of Your Scriptures to change our minds, to reorient and redirect our lives. Write Your truth upon our hearts. Give us faith to believe, ears to hear, and eyes to see. And we'll give You the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many famous conversion stories in history, but one that you probably haven't heard about is the self-described conversion experience of Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, born in Switzerland, French-speaking Switzerland, born in Geneva, Calvin's town where he was the reformer. Rousseau, in July of 1749, was heading to see a friend of his who was in prison, and on the road he's reading something, and I don't know, this is probably the only person this has ever happened to, he was reading a magazine, and he saw an advertisement for an essay contest, and the question was about, is this age of reason, the Enlightenment, This is the middle of the 1700s, 1749. Is this new fixation on reason and science, is it harmful for ethics or helpful for ethics, the ethics of society? And he read this advertisement for an essay contest and spent the next hour in tears and in a trance on the side of the road. Now, this... He described this 40-some years later in his autobiography as a conversion experience, but Rousseau did not have a conversion to Christianity. He went from being a staunch supporter to a committed opponent of the Enlightenment that was taking, this cultural movement that was taking place in Europe at the time. And this experience launched his career as a philosopher and as an author, and it was significant because many scholars look back on this experience and they say, this moment marked the beginning of what we now look back on and call romanticism, this enormously influential cultural movement that went right the way across Europe, leapt the Atlantic, and was very influential in 19th century America. This experience on the road, he described in his autobiography, interestingly called The Confessions, same same title as Augustine's spiritual autobiography, Rousseau said this about that experience on the road. He said, I felt my mind dazzled by a thousand lights. Now, when I read that, I thought about George Bush, a thousand points of light, (laughs) right? I thought about that. But he said, my mind was was dazzled by a thousand lights. I felt my head seized by a dizziness that resembled intoxication. And that language of seeing the light, that's the kind of language we still use today today to describe having an experience like this. I saw the light. I've seen the light. We use that to describe this experience of being dazzled and dizzied. And we call it an epiphany. An epiphany is a sudden realization of the truth that changes the course of your life. It is the shock of insight. It's the discovery of an idea that takes possession of you and that you then give yourself to as its servant. You find something not that you can master, which is what science is about, mastering the things we discover about the world. Rather, this is something that becomes your master, When you see it, it takes possession of you. You are dazzled and you are dizzied, as Rousseau said. Rousseau had to readjust and reorient himself around a sudden intoxicating realization when he saw the light. A true epiphany of the kind we're talking about This morning, a true epiphany that we're describing is not like the sudden remembering that you have when you're like, Where did I put my keys? and you're looking everywhere, Oh, I remember where my keys are. You have a sudden realization of where you left them. Or you're sitting in the living room and you're absorbed in the book, you're reading, or in a conversation, you're watching TV, and you realize, Oh, no, I left the cake in the oven, and you suddenly remember. That's a sudden realization. Right, And it does move you in the moment because you got to get up and go check the, the oven and put out the fire. I've been there. I don't know if you have. It's not that kind of remembering, that sudden realization in the moment. Because once you've checked the oven, once you've found the keys, it's over. No, this is something that is far more... Significant it touches us much deeper. the true epiphany fundamentally changes your mind and charts a new course for your life Just yesterday, I saw a very humorous example of this i was I was searching around online, I was checking some news, and I found this article, this news story that was posted on Philadelphia local news yesterday and, in, and maybe you saw this it was about this this um, country singer. He's sort of an aspiring, trying to make it in Nashville, but he's from Bucks County. And he recently wrote a song and then recorded himself singing it, and it's making its round on the internet. And the song is called, Go Birds! <laughs> right? It's, a, it's about the, you know, the Eagles. Go Birds! And the song is actually about this man who meets this woman, and he just knows she's the one but there's a bit one problem with her one major flaw it's a deal breaker she's a cowboys fan <laughs> so what the song is about is he converts this woman from being a cowboys fan to being an eagles fan not only does she become an eagles fan he gets her to fall in love with him and then she moves from texas and she spends the rest of her life with him go birds the power of the eagles to make converts, right? Now, that is a silly fictional example, but it kind of makes the point. She, it wasn't just a sudden realization of a momentary thing that doesn't really matter. No, this woman went from pulling for the cowboys to seeing the light. It's the eagles, not the cowboys. And then she falls in love and her whole life is different. She leaves her whole life in Texas behind and goes off with this guy. Go birds. (laughs) But we have things like that in our life. All of us having a a sudden realization, a sudden insight into something that just grips us and just turns us around in our tracks on the road and sends us off in a different direction. When you found that job you were training for and looking for, you'd been in some dead-end jobs and you found that career you were supposed to have and you found yourself flourishing in your job, or you found your ministry. You weren't sure what God was calling you to do in the church, and then you found that ministry. You, you found the place where your giftedness connects with God's call, and you start serving, and you see fruit, and you get fulfillment in your service of the Lord, or you find that new lifestyle. It's New Year's, right? That new diet. This year, it's going to happen, <laughs> or that exercise routine, or that I'm going to we make resolutions and stuff and sometimes we hit upon that new lifestyle that really clicks and fits something you're passionate about that you found that changes your direction that dazzles and dizzies and sends you off in a new direction or maybe it's something deeper than that some of us you know when you find that 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 social cause that you find such meaning and purpose in that you give yourself to and you serve or you find a new set of moral principles or a set of ideals or a, or a big goal. And you find something that grips you, that commands your loyalty. It changes your mind and it sends you off in a new direction. Sorry, there's a fly on the pulpit and it won't move. So, we're going to send him in a new direction. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> right? He just had an epiphany that he can fly. Well, where were we? Moses was in the bulrushes. Oh, yes, here we are. The kind of epiphany we're talking about is the same kind of epiphany that we read about in our New Testament reading. An epiphany, a literal epiphany where these wise men see the light, a star. An epiphany moved the magi to travel from afar in the east to follow the light of that star and to give their treasures and their allegiance to their new king. When they got home, they didn't go home the same. It's a sudden realization of, a tr- of the truth that changes the course of life. A spiritual epiphany is perhaps the strongest and greatest epiphany we can have when we wake up to the reality of the Lord. A spiritual epiphany, when we see the light, when God shines His light upon you. That's where, the, that's where our passage ends in verse 9, there at the end. It says, in your light... Do we see light? You see the light when you see the light of God. It creates a true conversion to the Lord. And that's what Psalm 36 is driving at. There is a great conversion that happens in Psalm 36. As we go from the description of the unbeliever in verses 1 through 4 to the exclamation That's made at the beginning of verse 7. Let's read verses 1 through 4 and just look and see how it describes this unbeliever. It says transgression, right? That's sin breaking God's law. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. So that's the description of this unbeliever in verses 1 through 4. Verses 5 and 6 have a description of how in the face of our ongoing sin, God is faithful still. It says in verse 5, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. It's as high as heaven, your faithfulness to the clouds. It's trying to express how enormous and expansive God's love is, even in the face of our sin And verse 6 says, your righteousness is like the mountains of God, the mighty mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. So there's God's saving love. And this unbeliever doesn't see it until we get to verse 7. Something has changed. The exclamation in verse 7 is this person saying, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. And what a realization that is. The sudden realization, the shock of insight into how precious, how valuable, how wonderful, how glorious His steadfast love for you really is. That insight into how God's love is wonderful. That moment when you see the light, it leads you then to run towards God and to run towards Him for His salvation. That's what verse 7 goes on to say. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of of your wings. That children of mankind in Hebrew is actually the sons of Adam, the offspring of Adam, and that's everybody. All of Adam's descendants are welcome into this shelter. It is an enormous refuge. There's room for one more, and you see him for who he is, and you discover his precious love, and you see there's room even for me. Even though verses 1 through 4 was who I was for a long time, now all of a sudden I've seen the light. In your light we see light. And I turn around and I come to the Lord and He always has room for one more. He always has room for another, even you. And He becomes your shelter. He becomes your refuge. And you discover that you are finally safe and satisfied In him, safe and satisfied in him. Look at verse 8. They, those who take refuge in him, they feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. I've always loved that verse. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights, not from the cup. Not from the barrel, from the river of your delights. This ever-flowing, always free, always available. Come down to the riverside and plunge in your face and drink in the pure joy that he gives. You find your soul's satisfaction. You realize that he is the one who gives you Everything good you know and everything good you have, it comes from His abundance. It's taken out of the river of His joy. And this is the kind of insight into how precious and abundant He is that will sustain you no matter what comes your way. That's why you need Him for a refuge. When you face the difficulties of life you seek his refuge. When you feel the emptiness of life, you seek his resources. When you fret the anxieties of life, you seek his reassurance. When you fail the tests of life, you seek his restoration. And when you fall beneath the miseries of life, You seek his rescue. In all of life, you have found him when you saw the light. In all of life, you have found him to be your portion and your protection. Because you've had that sudden realization of the truth that has changed the course of your life. You've seen the light and you cannot go back And you cannot stay the same because now you see how precious is your steadfast love, oh God. There's an old legend that you might remember hearing in high school. A legend that the great Spanish explorer Ponce de Leon went sailing to the New World in search of the ancient mythical fountain of youth. Perhaps you remember the story. As the legend goes, Ponce de Leon's search led him across the Atlantic to Florida in 1513, of all places. Now, it wasn't Florida yet, but it's the the place that we call Florida now. And when he got there, as the legend goes... He found the local native peoples who lived there, and he implored them, where is this fountain? Where's the fountain of youth? And they were very clever. They said, oh, our strange guest from across the sea in your weird boat and your funny costume, um, fountain of youth. Oh, yes, 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 we know where that is. It's in the Bahamas. And that's very clever. It's like, uh, you look like someone we can't trust. And they were right. And so the Fountain of Youth, of yes, yes, yes. We, we know exactly where it is. It's on that island way over there. Get going. Bye. They sent him on a wild goose chase. Right? Very clever. What Ponce de Leon was looking for, though, could not be found. Because it was mythical. The fountain, according to the legend... Was said to restore the youth of anyone who drinks or bathes in its life giving, rejuvenating waters. And each of us, in our own way, is looking for that. We are looking for that thing, that source that will give us more life. That's what the Fountain of Youth is about more life. You're getting older, you go to the fountain of youth, take a drink, you're young again. More life, that's what it's about. We're all looking for that source of abundance. Ongoing, unending, fuller and better life. Where's the juice? Where's that stuff, that thing that will rejuvenate us in our modern boredom? That thing that will enliven the constant drag of daily life. That thing that will quench our thirst for meaning and purpose. That thing that will satisfy my emptiness. That thing that will give me the contentment and the fulfillment that I can't find. Yeah, I get momentary snatches of contentment here and there. But where's that thing that doesn't run dry? It's more than just a sip. that's more than a drop that will actually fill me up. Where's that thing, that fountain, that source? that will refill us in the drought of life's draining demands. We're looking for something. And the question that I want you to ask and face this morning is, are you chasing mythical fountains? Ponce de Leon was willing to cross land and sea and look high and low. He searched this world over for that fountain... Of youth, and we will look everywhere this world has to offer for the thing that will satisfy and fill us. And the world is just like those native peoples. Oh, yes, we know where the fountain is, it's right over there. Keep looking, just over here, or check here, or try here. And we go around all these different options, all these different things the world points us to these different fountains, and we stick our head in and we drink for a minute, and we think, oh, maybe this is it, and it runs dry, does it not? It can't do it because it's earthly, and ultimately it's empty. We're chasing mythical fountains looking for the thing that will satisfy. And what Ponce de Leon could never find, the psalmist has discovered. Verse 9, For with you is the fountain of life. With you is the fountain of life. The psalmist says, I know where it is. It's not in Florida. (laughs) It's not in the Bahamas. It's not in anything this world can offer. God has the fountain. He is that fountain of living water that will satisfy. All the abundance of life that you're looking for, the thing that will rejuvenate you, the thing that will enliven you, the thing that will quench your soul, the thing that will fill up your life in this world, the thing that will save you and satisfy you is found in Him alone. It all springs from Him. It all flows from Him. And isn't that what verse 8 said? You give them drink from the river of your delights. This is a fountain that gushes a river of substance, a river of contentment, a river of joy. And we are invited to drink, to come and drink to our heart's contentment. And perhaps the greatest epiphany of all is the epiphany that came in the New Testament when we discovered that this fountain of life is actually Christ Himself. That Jesus is the spring of living water. That He's the one who came to satisfy. This is what Jesus said to the woman at the well who was looking for water, looking for something to quench her. John chapter 4 verse 14 Jesus says to this woman, whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is the one who gives you that protection Jesus is the one who is your portion. He's the one who makes you safe and satisfied. He's the one who is your source. He is the standard by which you evaluate what this world has to offer. Because when you've tasted the best... Nothing else compares when you've seen the light, when you've realized who he is, and you've seen in Christ the embodiment of the precious, steadfast love of God, and you've tasted and you've seen, and you've got the spring inside. It's welling up in you, and now the world can't trick you. It can't send you on the wild goose chase looking for your contentment, because you've found it, and your life cannot stay the same Christ is the one who makes all the difference. A life lived with Christ is a life that gives you what you're looking for. A life lived with Christ saves your soul for eternity, but He gives you that abundance that you can enjoy here in this life. The abundance of satisfaction that will sustain you through all of the ups and downs The surprises and pains and tragedies and difficulties and challenges that we face. He doesn't promise to spare you from your suffering. He promises to satisfy you in Him so you can endure the suffering, knowing that it all works together for your good. And that gets you through. He becomes your passion. He becomes your source of life in abundance. Have you seen the light? Have you had this sudden realization of who he is? Can you say, when you look at Christ, how precious is your steadfast love, O God? It's Epiphany Sunday. It's time to wake up. It's time to see the light that's shining today from the Scriptures And from the face of Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. Have you seen the light? Come. Come to his light. Come to the fountain. And thirst no more. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have the fountain of life. And that you have not hidden it from us. But you've revealed it. You've shown us the way. You've pointed us to the one who can give us the water that satisfies us for eternal life and that can support us in this life. Give us that abundance. Help us to live our lives with you, communing with you, pray in prayer, through scripture, through worship, through fellowship, through service, through obedience, through all the wonderful gifts and callings you've put before us. Help us to live our lives with you, And to not look to any other source to satisfy us, to save us, to secure us, to support us. You have the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. And may we never look to another. But give our whole lives to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.